This is a podcast from the Business Times. Singapore shares started the week higher in contrast with global markets, which closed lower amid continued concerns over interest rate hikes. The Straits Times Index was up 0.2% at the open, but dipped 0.1% to close at 3,190 points. On Tuesday, Singapore shares opened in the green in contrast with global markets, which closed lower amid uncertainty over events in Russia. The SDI was up 0.3% in early trade and strengthened to close 0.5% up at 3,205 points. At the midweek, Singapore shares again opened in the green, tracking gains in US and European markets. The SDI was up 0.5% at the open and remained in the green at the close, inching up 0.1%. Singapore markets were closed on Thursday in observance of a holiday. It's Friday, June 30th. Welcome to Market Focus, a weekly look at market drivers and movements from the Business Times. I'm Clarissa Montero. Singapore shares started trading in positive territory, largely mirroring global markets. The SDI was up 0.4% at the open. Here's Jeff Howey, market strategist at SGX Securities, with his overview of the trading week. We had a abbreviated trading week with markets closed on Thursday for a public holiday. And that saw over the first three sessions, expectations really not waver for a 25 basis point Fed funds rate hike at the upcoming 26th of July FOMC. What this saw for those first three sessions uh, was consolidation in the two-year U.S. Treasury yields and the U.S. dollar index marked time around 102.50. And that marking time theme very much extended to the STI, with the Monday 26 June low at 31.88 to the Wednesday 28 June high at 32.23. And that more or less matched the whole trading day range of the preceding Friday back on the 23rd of June. And that saw the STI close Wednesday at around 32.08, while the S&P 500 was at 44.08. Then, while we were closed on the Thursday, the S&P 500 had gained further. It had moved up to 44.35. The STI then opened on Friday morning up around that 32.23 high and has since come back a few points. Over June, The STI's trading range was also mostly contained within the preceding May trading range, with the June high of 32.77 missing the May high by some 32 points or 1%, while the 31.50s held as the low for the STI in both June and both May. Both globally and regionally, the consumer cyclical sector again led the global stock market in June, while REITs ranked the laggards, albeit with marginal gains on the global front. Automotive manufacturing led the consumer cyclical sectors in June, and prior to the final session of the month in Singapore, NEO and Jardin Cycling Carriage had posted month gains of 21% for NEO in SGD terms and 4.6% for Jardin Cycling Carriage. In early Friday trading, both NEO and Jardine Cycling Carriage also led the most active trading stocks. Over the course of June, we did see global stocks price in expectations that the Fed funds rate at the 13 December FOMC at the end of the year will be around five and a quarter to five and a half percent. And that compares to the May end expectations of 25 bips lower at five percent to five and a quarter percent. 
So the S REITs that actually outpaced the global REIT benchmarks in June ahead of the final session had included Lippo Moore's Indonesia Retail Trust, Digital Core REIT, Parkway Life REIT, EC World REIT, and Capital Land India Trust. Going into the beginning of the week, so this is uh, late Sunday night, the Bank of International Settlements released its annual economic report for 2023, and they maintained that the sheer size of the challenges ahead call for a holistic policy response that involves monetary, fiscal, prudential, and last but not least, structural policies. The report also projected that Asia growth spillovers from a China services-driven recovery should actually be limited, with no significant impact. And this is because services are less tradable and more orientated towards domestic demand. This same report showed that for the 15 years between 2004 and 2019, 1% year-on-year quarterly growth in China construction activity actually increased Asian manufacturing exports to China by seven-tenths of a percent over the first four quarters, while a 1% year-on-year growth in China manufacturing output also increased Asian exports to China by six-tenths of a percent. And by contrast, Asian growth spillovers from a China services-driven recovery will be muted at the most. Also this week, we saw Hong Kong exports fall in May for a 13th consecutive month as that weak demand for goods from China and the world continues to pose challenges for Hong Kong's economic outlook. As expected, this morning on the 30th of June, China's June non-manufacturing PMI printed its sixth straight month of expansion, coming in at 33.2, versus the manufacturing PMI, which reported its third consecutive contraction at 49.0. China's industrial profits were also reported to contract by 19% for the first five months of this year, following its 4% contraction last year. The trio of FTSE ST China stocks that have led the index so far this year include Yangzijiang Shipbuilding, China Aviation Oil Singapore, and Jardim Matheson. The China Aviation Oil CEO did note back in February that the progressive recovery of the global aviation industry, boosted by the reopening of China's borders, does bode well for China Aviation Oil's future performance as the company actively leverages on this recovery trend and seeks out opportunities for strategic expansion. Now, this stock, China Aviation Oil, it has ranked as our 90th most traded stock by daily trading turnover so far this year, while at the same time ranking among the top 50 stocks by highest net institutional inflows for the year so far. Uma David joins us for her take of the week. It was a better looking week this week, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Global capital markets suffered jitters early this week as troubles in Russia caused investors around the world to ditch risky investments and head for safe haven assets instead. But after a mutiny was avoided in the country, the dust has pretty much settled as investors shift their focus back to the usual suspects, inflation, rate hikes and global macroeconomic data. Commodities were in focus this week as the initial stages of the war between Russia and Ukraine had caused a spike in various commodities that the two countries were major producers of. Agri-commodities such as wheat, corn, sunflower oil and fertilisers had risen on supply concerns then. Russia is also the second largest exporter of crude oil to the world markets. Oil benchmarks, namely Brent and West Texas Intermediate, were up just slightly on choppy trading after the weekend, but had settled over the course of the week without too much of a spike. Agri-commodities, meanwhile, were largely unchanged as markets kept track of the troubles and priced in the risks accordingly. 
Market watchers have warned that the commodities market may experience greater volatility on the back of troubles in Russia. But prices are unlikely to surge in the way they did back in February last year, unless things take a turn for the worse. However, traders are advised to keep a close watch on the events taking place in the country. Gold has shone in times of geopolitical tensions, but the precious metal paired its gains on Wednesday in response to the better mood in equity markets and an upward shift in US Treasury yields. Observers said there are fueled FOMC interest rate expectations and yields remain elevated. This is, in turn, hurting the appeal of gold in the current environment of hawkish central banks. In the US, Home sales data, consumer confidence and durable goods data have all painted a rather rosy picture of the economy, which might be fueling investor optimism across capital markets at the moment. This could in turn divert attention back to interest rates, as well as the possibility of another rate hike by the US Federal Reserve. It was recently reported that the Federal Reserve had signalled its support for two more interest rate hikes this year, which might rock investor sentiment again. With the Singapore market's earnings season expected to commence at the end of July, local investors are likely to be keeping a close eye on their investments here and hunting for bargains on the Singapore boss. Still to come, notable news from the week with Jeff. The International News Media Association held its annual World Congress in May this year in New York, attracting leadership from news media companies in 50-plus countries and included a conference, workshops, study tours, and awards. Associate Editor, Product, The Business Times, Christopher Lim, attended as well. What did we learn? Find out in the latest episode of Editor's Talk. Out on July 3rd. Proudly produced by the Business Times Podcasts team. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to market focus from the Business Times. Jeff, could you give us a roundup of the week's notable news? Well, Clarissa, Singapore's industrial production declined 4% month-on-month and 11% year-on-year in May. This brought the cumulative five-month year-on-year decline to 7%. For May, Transport engineering output was up 28% year-on-year, and biomedical manufacturing was also up 4%, with the four other clusters posting year-on-year declines. Electronics comprises 45% of Singapore's industrial production and declined most among the clusters, with a 23% year-on-year contraction. Now, semiconductors make up 85% of electronics, or 38 percentage points of the 45%. And they contracted 27% year-on-year in May. This was on the back of declining demand and a very high base following a peripheral 46% year-on-year upward spike in May of 2022. So manufacturing momentum is pretty much in line with the UOB's forecast for industrial production to contract by 5.4% this year. And that's due to the faltering outlook for electronics and weaker external demand and does follow on, though, from a 2.5% expansion back in 2022 and a 13.2% expansion back in 2021. The MAS and SGX are tying up with the Climate Data Steering Committee, also referred to as the CDSC, to boost global emissions reporting for companies. Singapore companies will soon be able to showcase their climate transition commitments on a global level. MAS and the SGX signed a MOU with the Secretariat of the Climate Data Steering Committee. 
MAS and SGX will link ES Genome, their digital platform for listed companies to disclose their ESG information with the CDSC's Net Zero Data Public Utility, which is a global repository of climate transition-related data. A task force has been set up to ensure Singapore has enough accountants and dispel the boring perceptions. Over the past five years, accounting degree students at universities have fallen in Singapore by more than 10%. The number of graduates who eventually go on to become accountants or auditors has also fallen, which compounds the problem. An estimate last year projected that by 2025, demand for new accounting jobs would reach about 6,000 to 7,000 positions. This will add to the current workforce of more than 100,000 employees, which includes 80,000 workers in in-house finance and accountancy functions, and about 20,000 in accounting practices. Jeff, please give us the highlights in company news this week. This week, Yangtzejiang Shipbuilding moved from $1.28 at the end of last week to $1.44 on Wednesday and was trading at $1.47 on Friday morning. This is on new orders that really do resonate with the green shipping theme. Firstly, the Jiangsu-based shipbuilder announced it had been awarded a contract by Norway-based KCC for the construction of three third-generation CABU vessels due for delivery in 2026. These combination carriers are designed to solve the inefficiencies found in the shipping industry as combination carriers are capable of transporting both dry and wet bulk cargoes and such flexibility increases the odds of vessels being utilised in both legs of the journey. And that of course contrasts to single purpose vessels like tankers and dry bulk carriers are more likely to sail empty and unladen to pick up destinations. Secondly, and prior to the Tuesday Open, Yang Zijiang announced it had secured a contract to build six 9,000 TEU methanol dual-fuel container ships from AP Moller, Mask, representing its first order win for methanol dual-fuel container ships. With these latest order wins, the 2023 year-to-date has seen the group secure new orders for 69 vessels worth approximately 5.6 billion US dollars, which exceeds its year 2023 target of 3 billion. That achieves the highest ever total outstanding order book value of 14.6 US billion for 180 vessels for the company. A top 10 Singapore stock by trading turnover this year, the share price of Yangtze Jung shipbuilding is up 6% from its end of 2022 level. And according to Reuters, while the stock trades at premiums to its five-year earnings and book valuations, the stock maintains a $1.598 consensus 12-month target price. Ben Kuang Marine proposed to sell just over 30% of its Batam shipyard property to Bukit Batu Mulia for $9.9 million. The buyer is owned by an affiliate of China's Nanshan Group and George Santos, the founder and owner of Indonesia Solid Group. Sabana REIT said it will convene an EGM on the 4th of August at 2pm. The EGM requisitioned was by activist investor Cause Capital, which is seeking to remove the REIT manager and internalise the REIT management function by appointing a new manager that is wholly owned by the REIT's trustee. Starhub said that it will spend about $50 million to repurchase up to 3% of its issued share capital, which represents close to 52 million shares. The group added that the program will facilitate the return of excess cash to shareholders and it is in line with its Dare Plus objective to enhance long-term total shareholder returns. 
AIMS APAC REIT has received valid acceptances and excess applications of 204% of the total number of units available at the close of its preferential offering on June 22, its manager said on Monday. A total of 25.4 million new units will be issued to raise gross proceeds of 30 million Sing dollars. Uma, with a happier trading week this week, what are we looking forward to for next week? A slew of macroeconomic data releases are due over the course of the next two weeks. On Monday, Singapore's Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index will be announced. The Urban Redevelopment Authority will also release the second quarter price index for private homes on Monday. Singapore's retail sales for May will be announced on Wednesday and a Treasury bill auction is slated for Thursday. Further ahead, Singapore will announce its gross domestic product growth rate for the second quarter on Friday, July 14th. Thank you for that. This has been Market Focus from the Business Times. I'm Clarissa Montero with Jeff Howie, Market Strategist at the SDX Securities, and Uma Devi from the Business Times News Desk. This is a podcast by the Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.